0: Welcome, learners and learn it alike, to Season 2 of Help Teach. Hello, and welcome back to our Community Audio Project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co-lead, Mihai Kovasar. I am also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools and knowledge that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in. Listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Today, kicking off season two, I would like to first begin with another huge thank you to all of the guests that have come on the show so far Everyone who has helped to raise this project up from the ground in all aspects, from editing and production to speaking on the show, as I mentioned, and of course, all of you fans for tuning in and listening. I couldn't have done it without you, and I look forward to all the great conversations we'll be having starting today. And to kick off this season, I would like to welcome to the show a very special guest. This guest is not only a researcher and a Paralympian, but also another person living with a disability who has some great experiences to share. So without further ado, I would like to welcome my guest for today's episode, Dr. Jamie Borisov. Jamie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So I know that we talked uh, about our show today you know, we talked about a number of subjects that are going to come up. This is going to be a bit of a longer conversation split into two parts. So, right now, you're listening to part one, and please stay tuned for part two in the future. But as I do with all my guests, I'd just like to invite you first to tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you are, some of your history in a disability or with your work, uh, whatever you'd like to tell us. Sure. First of
1: all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I love this project, what you're trying to do. So uh, my name is Jamie Borisov, my occupation is the director of Make Plus Applied Research Group at BCIT, the British Columbia Institute of Technology. So right now I'm joining you from my office in in Burnaby, where BCIT is located. Although I live in Vancouver, which I love, I love to take advantage of Vancouver's parks and bicycling infrastructure. Um, I have a disability myself, I'm a T4 paraplegic spinal cord injury from a car accident that I had in 1989. So that was a long time ago, over 30 years ago. <laughs> so I, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, using a wheelchair and, and, and living life uh, with a disability. I was 19 when that happened. and you know, I was after my first year of university. And so I, I basically spent my, my entire adult life with a disability, with using a wheelchair, with, and with navigating life like that. What I do at work is we do applied research. Um, I wear a couple of different hats. One of them is running my own research program around assistive technology research and development. So we try to design better wheelchairs, better assistive technologies. We design adaptive exercise equipment and, and all sorts of technologies that may help people with disabilities. But the other hat I wear is that I direct an applied research group with uh, many other team members. And we partner with local businesses and other academics at SFU and UBC, for instance, around some of their research projects. So, for instance, maybe a professor at UBC has an idea for a prototype new device, medical device, they might come to us to prototype
0: it and design it for them. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So, as you've mentioned, there are a few different hats that you wear in, in your daily life. And you know this will come up over the course of the conversation, I'm sure, but the place I want to start for the part one of this discussion is another hat that you wear which is that of a parent now I know that as you said you had your accident at nineteen which means that you didn't go through the school system uh, as a youth with a disability but now you have children of your own yes both school age and you're navigating life as a parent with a disability with students in the school system so I want to start by asking you that when did you first start to encounter challenges with being a parent uh, with a disability and uh, I should mention also that this is a perspective we haven't had on the show yet which is why I'm so excited to talk to you today we've had students we've had teachers and some parents as well but this is something new and I think a perspective that's really interesting to to explore so yeah wh- when did you first encounter challenges in that regard well I think that's an easy question for me to answer because the answer is probably immediately sooner is mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon
1: as uh my my son was born i have i have two sons they're now 13 and 9 years old i mentioned uh i use a wheelchair so you can imagine anything with wheelchair accessibility uh issues will be compounded being a parent of a of a baby um i also mentioned i have a t4 spinal cord injury that means i have very poor trunk function so i i am paralyzed from about the chest down, so I don't have good stomach muscles and trunk muscles, so I can lose my balance really easily. And what that means is I often grab my wheel or grab the back of my wheelchair to say, lift something, to lean over, to reach, to do a lot of different activities. And so I think that's a really good example. If you can now think about what is a newborn baby like? They're a little noodly. Creature. they can't <laughs> stabilize they can't hold their head up if you ever held a newborn baby or seen it being held, you'll you realize you're using two hands your one hand is holding the head the other one's holding the body
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I found that to be challenging um unless I was in my my command center or that was my coach I, um, <laughs> I, I could be in the couch in my living room in, in our apartment and I, i'm really stable I'm kind of slightly reclined and I'm super comfortable and Mm -hmm. if i lean one way or the other i can't fall over i'll just fall onto the couch i'll fall out of my wheelchair for instance i was far more comfortable with my with our baby uh when i was on the couch uh instead of uh say being in my wheelchair which was you know which is a quite quite a tippy wheelchair Mm -hmm. that's kind of a low you know a a low backrest and so i again it was was really interesting to navigate that those those challenges to figure out how am i going to interact with this this baby how am i going to take part in the caregiving yeah um, how am I going to change the diapers and all, and all those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how did you end up navigating some of those challenges? I'm curious because I had a conversation not too long ago with a contact of mine. You may know of him. His name is Marco Pasqua. He does quite a lot of work, again, accessibility related, a lot of public work. And uh, we actually met through an organization called Variety, the children's charity at first. And we hosted some events together, but he was telling me, yeah, yeah. And so he was telling me about how he adapted his home in all sorts of ways for wheelchair access, including desks and things, to roll under a specialized crib all these other things and i know he's crazy about all that uh, accessible technology but i'm curious uh how did that look for you
1: um similar to marco i did a lot of a lot of uh adapting things i
0: not so much
1: in my apartment per se uh it, it we we still live there it's a, it's a wheelchair accessible unit in our apartment building so it has all those features about wheel under sink and uh in the bathroom in the kitchen and and lower shelves and that sort of thing so that that didn't need any adapting but let's start with this coach this this what i you know i called my my command center so to speak and Mm -hmm. i was when i was looking after uh the baby um there i could change diapers for instance i could put the baby beside me i could lean over i could lean on my elbows and my arms and be fully stable and balanced and i could manipulate the, the baby and put a diaper on and pick him up again and all those sorts of things so it's super comfortable there but now when I wanted to move with the baby that that was an interesting challenge is how do I
0: mm.
1: and really just keep in mind this is only the very first few weeks and months when the baby is really sure. somewhat help, yeah. helpless and not able to stabilize their their head and their body and that sort of thing when it got into you know several months old the baby was crawling and 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 that was really cool Time when you know, they you know, almost grab onto my wheelchair and crawl into my lap, with, with me of course <laughs> helping to lift. Um, but before that, I made a little seat so they could sit on my lap. I put them in the seat and they had handles on it. And I could I could start with the baby on the on the couch, put them in their seat, transfer into my wheelchair, then grab the seat with the handles, put on my lap, and, and and strap it to me. So Evan Evan was his name is his name, he was secure and and you know, with me. So that's and that was great. I could wield the community with 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 him like that. Uh, we were very stable, very very mobile, very functional that way. Mm-hmm. There's another one neat little thing I did, and the other one was the crib you mentioned. Marco probably did something with this with this crib. I did something similar as well. One of my um, first inventions, one of the first things I ever designed was the wheelchair I'm using now. That was commercialized called the elevation wheelchair, and it has gas springs that lift the seat up and down.
0: Mm.
1: And I thought about it's kind of a little bit like a person has a hammer everything looks like a nail I had this this <laughs> elevation wheelchair with gas springs and I thought it'd be really cool to put a gas spring into the in, into a crib and what I did was I made the uh. I made the front section of the crib the front wall of the crib think of a <laughs> of a Delorean or a Lamborghini door yeah, yeah. A, a Lamborghini door how it scissors up I made the front of my crib scissor up with a gas spring and it would just stay up there and the gas spring would hold it up there and then the entire volume of the curb was accessible for me to
0: ah, interesting it.
1: so it was a little bit of, of a fun project and and but very useful and it's one yeah with both both my boys and uh, it worked really well for me
0: interesting putting the the engineering skills to work there hey following that we get to school age right pretty pretty shortly afterwards you know five, six years old and and you're getting into school, and I, I, seeing as that is the primary focus of my show, but also I know you have quite a lot of experiences in that regard, what was it like getting to school age with your your two boys and then having to navigate that? At least the first time around, maybe the second time you had some tricks up your sleeve, but how was it when your first boy started school and you had to navigate that experience?
1: Well, yeah, thanks for that question. Um, the short answer is that it turned out very well. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about how we how we got there, because it was actually quite difficult. And, and the second kid, um, n- no problems at all. We just went to the same school, and we had figured everything out by then. Yeah. As, as every parent does, when you, you have a, a child in, in preschool and uh, kindergarten is coming up next year, and you start to wonder, where does your child go to school? What are catchment areas in, in, in Canada? do you do French immersion? Do you do English only? All these sort of things you 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 wonder about and have to figure out. And and then where are those schools? Are they the same school? Are they different schools? And it depends on mm-hmm. where you are in, in your school uh, area. As I said at the beginning, I live in Vancouver, so we're dealing with the Vancouver School Board. And we made a decision that we would like to, if possible, go to French immersion. Mm-hmm. And we live very close to a French immersion primary school, really just two blocks away. But it was one that you know, it was in our neighborhood for many, many years. We're very familiar with it. And yeah. one that we knew was not very wheelchair accessible. It was uh, the site of uh, voting booths, for instance, when when elections happened. The votes would happen there, and I, I would go there and have to have one of the election officers bring down one of the voting booths from the from the museum uh, because it wasn't wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was one of the very older schools. It was, it was slated for replacement at that time, sometime in the next decade. And so it was yeah you know, as we can all imagine in, in that there are these older buildings around vancouver and around the world for instance uh, that that aren't very wheelchair accessible
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that was mm-hmm. the, the school that we would normally be enrolled in and that, this was a, a problem to me i wasn't very uh, happy with say not being involved with the classroom and not being able to take my son into the school and participate in assemblies or school media yeah, all these kinds yeah. of things right So I approached the Vancouver School Board uh, with a phone call to their their front desk and asked to talk to someone about this problem. And that started off this whole chain of events and interesting experience of trying to navigate Mm. Vancouver School Board as a a parent with a disability. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I'm not sure what it's like now, but at the time, if we went to the the webpage and look at the resources, there was no Obvious links about wheelchair accessibility at schools in Vancouver. There was no phone number. There was no helpline. There was, there, there, was no information at all. So of mm, course, I, this... I,
0: I can say that it hasn't much changed, unfortunately. I mean, if you look at many, uh, I mean, at least in in the areas that I've seen, school boards around the area here definitely isn't the case that that information is easily accessible. And as you say, sometimes you have to be the trailblazer i mean i was thinking about you were saying that with your second son there were no problems because you'd established that but uh, i'm another son as well so it was definitely a bit of trailblazing but uh yeah go on
1: yeah so we i called the front line or the, whatever the the main info line for the vancouver school board and and talked to a person and they were uh, i describe it as almost astonished that i was calling them about this problem like like it's one that they've never heard of before that they, someone might inquire about wheelchair accessibility at their schools and and, and they they wanted to really just pass me on to the facilities department because they're the ones that deal with, with access to their buildings. And, and yeah. I was trying to explain to them how it's not really an access issue. It's a, it's an issue, but which school can, can we access? Can we go to with, with our child? Our catchment area school is not wheelchair accessible. I know that already. I don't need to talk to anybody about that. And they they weren't very helpful. They were almost offended that I was asking them such questions and, so that didn't go very far.
0: That that astonished me when you first mentioned that, this air of offense. Personally, I think I may have spoken on the show about a couple of teachers that I had, you know, that were a bit less open-minded in that regard. But for the most part, I think I'd be quite fortunate with the interpersonal experience there. But that just to be like, how dare <laughs> that you have a question about your accessible school. Yeah, I'm
1: sure it was the the wrong person on the wrong day. and They were having a bad day. Perhaps and that's just the way it went but mm. fortunately there, there was a good you know ending of this story yeah and i decided to call the superintendent and and got their um administrative assistant this, this 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 woman who um was super helpful she was like i i don't know the answers to your questions but let me see what i can find out and i'm going to get back to you mm-hmm and that's exactly what you want to hear, um, that, you know, we don't expect everybody to have the answers at their fingertips, but it's great to hear the the fact that they acknowledge there's a problem and they will try to find out some information. Yeah, absolutely. And so very shortly after, um, I got a call from one of the assistant superintendents in who who operated in, in our area, the schools in our area, and I told him the problem. He's like, well, yeah, that is a problem. He personally had not dealt with a parent in a wheelchair, um, but immediately acknowledged that there was an issue. And he basically said, let me, let me get back to you and see uh, about a couple of things we can come up with. Mm-hmm. And I had also, um, at the time, we, we had a, a, an ideal solution in mind already because my son was going to a preschool at a neighboring school uh, about a five minute drive away that we knew was fully wheelchair accessible. It was in one of the newer schools in, in, in our area. It had French immersion. It had several friends of, of my son that, that was going there. We got to meet a bunch of the families and it was, mm-hmm. that would have been a great solution. And, and so we told the, the, the assistant superintendent about that. And, and the short story is he was able to facilitate our entry into this school. That was not our catchment area. We were outside. Yeah. Yeah, he was able to pull the strings such that um, that that happened for us and kind of recognizing that it was one of those equality versus equity kind of situations i think where mm. sometimes you know to be equal would have been me going to this inaccessible school everybody gets to go to that school but uh, you know being equitable means that sometimes you have to treat people differently and make arrangements and accommodations for people so that they get you know equitable treatment
0: yeah no absolutely and i think that's Part of the reason that I am so passionate about offering some solutions for educators that they can implement in their classroom easily, uh, you know, quickly, and that really make a difference so that maybe next time someone has to go to a school in their catchment area, they can actually go, you know? And it facilitates the process, not just for obviously the people that get to attend an accessible school, but even all the bureaucratic parts of it that, that you don't have to worry about anymore, right? So, I mean, that's the goal, but we get there however way we can, right? Yeah, and so in the end, it had a good ending, and we ended up in a fantastic school, and both both my sons have, have
1: gone there, and my oldest son now has moved on to high school. Mm. Um, hasn't been an issue uh, at all, and yeah, happy ending.
0: You mentioned in our discussion uh, prior to this episode a few kind of key elements that you would like to highlight or that that define the experience for you in terms of navigating the school system. And we talked a bit about the third, which was individuals within the system that are, you know, just willing to accommodate, to acknowledge the problem and to try and find a solution, which is often what we look for. But you mentioned a couple of other things, too, and the first was this idea of self-advocacy. Uh, So I was wondering if you could touch on that a little bit What is it like to have to advocate as a parent because I know as a student, you know, I'm in the system I'm the one experiencing the classroom. I'm there and so in a sense it gives me the opportunity to point out some real Concrete issues and as long as I have the skills to self-advocate which again are maybe harder to build at that young age but uh, I'm lucky to have had them then I can you know, I can sort of ask for what I need. But I'm wondering if that's different as a parent or what, at least what your experience was like.
1: Well, yeah. I think it's so important with anything with disability, probably anybody navigating the medical system in any way It's important. I think of an, uh, an example that's very similar would be, you know, someone with a disability dealing with their insurance company for getting a, a new piece of equipment, for instance. Often mm. the insurance company will say, no, you can't have that piece of equipment. And, and they know that a certain percentage of their clients will stop, asking it they'll, they'll go away and they'll be content with that answer and then if you come back to them and say no I really need this then they'll say no again and another percentage of them will go away and, and leave them alone um, but if you keep at it you keep asking in, in, in different ways and bring more information and in to to the to the problem eventually you'll wear them down and they will you know fund the equipment typically mm-hmm. uh, I think dealing with WorkSafe or ICBC or other insurance agencies it's it's very similar Mm-hmm. In in this sense too, with 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 navigating the school system, you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so to speak. Um, you just I, I had to you know keep keep at it, keep trying to find the person that will eventually help you. And so I think it's just such so important for almost anything in 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 our life to deal with things that are, are a bit different, dealing with a world a society that's not quite optimized for you as yeah. a as a person with a disability or someone that uses a wheelchair
0: you know that's an idea that's come up with a number of my guests this idea that the the world is just not always built for you right and that's why we talk a lot about things like universal design principles that we ideally would like to see implemented on on a wide scale but they just do make the process that much easier you know and to as you say to keep asking for the things that you need often it's not. it's not even just the comfort thing it's like in order to complete this process i need this support in my life i've seen that often that if you ask for it enough times someone will have the sense to to change it and that makes it better for not just you but every person that comes after you right i don't know if you've talked to any other parents with similar experiences in your area or otherwise but
1: uh... i actually haven't uh, met anybody in my area i have a couple friends in, in other areas that have gone through the system as well and we've i guess compared notes and I, and I think mm-hmm. everybody's situation is unique. And you know, we, here we are. We were living two blocks away from a, a very old, inaccessible school. And in, in, you know, if I was living by this this the school that we ended up with, that was in our catchment area, I probably would not have had this experience because it would have been just easy for me to do it. I wouldn't even have thought about it. Yeah, I, I can think of a couple of friends that live in you know Vancouver suburbs, newer communities that have newer infrastructure. Yeah, and their experience was far different too because the schools were were built from the get go with inclusivity Mm -hmm. in mind. So, you know, it really is going to depend on those specific situations.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the last element here that we were talking about, this idea of the institutional mentality or the system mentality and the processes there. I'm always curious to ask guests that are older than I am, have you found over the course of the last, I don't know, decade, for example, that things have changed significantly in your view, in terms of institutions implementing accessible features, have making the processes easier for people? Uh, is that something you've heard or that you've seen yourself? Uh, what, what's your experience in that?
1: Well, I think the short answer is that yes, there's definitely been positive change. Uh, I, I think the awareness that we have now is, is has come a long way, but you, you know, you still get these little examples mm. in a, in a, in a system that we think it is a bit baffling yet, yes, there's been huge changes and huge improvements in North America, in, in various parts of the world, and certainly where we are. But at the same time, you know, again, these sometimes little little things fall through the cracks, so to speak. And uh, yeah. one example I could think of would be, you know, just before COVID, I can think of this new restaurant that opened up on, on Main Street. And we were, we were walking by, we, we popped into it. It did not have a single accessible table. They were all the new kind of trendy, high... Bar stool, high yeah. tables that to me is baffling in in our day and age how they get a license to operate how they get a liquor license how they're allowed to run an establishment with the permission of the city they have to have a business license right they have to have a liquor license
0: yeah, yeah.
1: province and the city that they're allowed to do that but not actually have a wheelchair accessible table yes the door i can get into the door and they have a bathroom that is now accessible. These are some th- things that are pretty obvious in the building code that people now comply with. I don't ever, or very rarely would I think about calling a restaurant beforehand to see if it was wheelchair accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Three years ago, if I was going out to a restaurant, I would often call ahead and just to find out can I even get into the building? Now I don't worry about that. It you know occasionally it backfires, but almost very rarely does it. But here's here's another example again of it's almost like a, a fashion or a style that let's have high tables because they kind of look cool or they I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why, but, um, it's trendy. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's really difficult obviously to eat from a table. like that in a wheelchair. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: again, the system should take care of that when you get a license to operate, to open your restaurant to, to, to be established, it would be very simple to show that, Oh, we have an inclusive uh, enterprise. We have an inclusive, uh, premise. Mm. hmm mm-hmm.
0: For sure. I think that takes us really nicely into what I would like to offer as the key takeaway for this part one of our conversation, which is that in the classroom specifically and in education, but also anywhere, it's important to make sure that communication is consistent and clear and obviously as someone who's running a communication project, maybe I'm a little biased to that. But nonetheless, I mean, we often have conversations that had we just known is something I, I hear a lot from a lot of my guests. I know I've experienced it myself. And so what I would like to offer to educators listening to this episode is that when you're sending outgoing communication about the school year, for example, often, you know, teachers will send a little email to parents saying, Hello, welcome. This is my class. This is what you can expect. I would really like to see people attach important information about accessibility to those parents and to those students. Just to mention, for example, how is my class accessible to you? Like, can you get in the doors? Uh, Do I put captions on videos? Do I offer, for example, do do I write neatly and, and, and largely on the board? Anything that you've thought of or that you've implemented, whether you heard it on a project like mine or whether it's just something you've always done, I think it's really important to have that attached and available to keep everyone in the loop as to what's accessible in in your classroom and I think a lot of parents and even a lot of students would appreciate knowing that before they get there and start the new school year. Absolutely great ideas. With that, I would like to do a little something different and tell our audience that you have been listening to Help Teach, part 1 of my 13th episode opening season 2 here with Dr. Jamie Borasov, and we've just finished a conversation about parenting with a disability. I did receive, however, an email from an audience member, and to kick off season 2, not only am I having a special two-part episode, but this is the first time an audience member has gotten in touch, and they've said this. So I got a message from Gracie saying, a topic has come up a few times that's very much piqued my interest, and that is para-sport and the Paralympics. One of my family friends had a sister who competed in the Paralympics a few years back, and it's always been a topic that I was interested in, but unfamiliar with, as a person without a disability and that experience. One thing I'd love to hear more about is the process that goes into para-sport, how you get into it, the types of competitions there are, and how it all works and is put together. I personally think it's fascinating, and I'd love to hear more at some point. So let's give a big thank you to Gracie for offering that question for the show and to our audience members, make sure to tune in for part two of this episode where we talk about exactly that. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time.